Hey, aloha, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Unshackled Liberty. This is Q, the abolitionist. Aloha, this is Crypto Gumbo. We had Jeremy R. Hammond on today to talk about informed consent, which is really timely considering everything going on with the uh, with the coronavirus and mandatory vaccines and everything the president said recently and the weaponization of OSHA and everything else. I thought it was a really good conversation. What did you think about oh, yeah. the conversation? It, Jeremy's really smart, well-read, knows his stuff. I think it was the second time we've had him on. It was a pleasure. The, the man's doing a good thing. Uh, nothing but good things to say about him. He's awesome. He's yeah. great. So yeah. before we jump into that, I wanted to maybe do a little bit of a new, uh, a new segment. What do you think? Whoa, we got a new segment we, over we at talked, the we about this. Come on. We got, we got a new segment called Q-Tips, and I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try this out. So here's what Q-Tips is. Okay, Q-Tips is a uh, is a segment where you guys can either reach me on Twitter or through my email at qabolitionist at gmail.com and uh, send me questions about your life. And if I think I can answer them, um, I'll do what I can. Okay. So the first one that we got today. Uh, is from uh, Pope Ori, and that's a a, 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 a Twitter handle. Uh, it's called at the. So if you want to see this person, this is at Real Fake Bitcoin. Is there a, is there at right at Real Fake Bitcoin? So the question I have is, what steps should I take to become more entrepreneurial? And I think that's a good one. And it, it, what's it caught my eye because you know Gumbo, I used to have a my own business. Right. I'm a bit yeah, of a yeah. I'm a bit of a gangster myself, you know, a, a bit of an entrepreneur. Bro. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur myself, right? Or at least I was one once. Um, and to answer that question, I think the best thing that anybody who's interested in becoming an entrepreneur uh, can do is uh, you, you've got to look at the market, right? You have to pay attention to what your market is doing. Okay, we all work in different industries, and I don't know, I don't know where real real fake Bitcoin works or what industry is theirs, but uh, you know, you have to be aware of the of the market demands within your industry and then be aware of what is not being met, what needs are not being met. And then um, from there, you can maybe start your plan uh, to, to either start your own business or become entrepreneurial within the company that you work for. There's a good book out there. I wish I remember who the author was. Um, a book I read when I was in college called The Art of the Start. And uh, it's it's a book about how to start your own business and how to become an entrepreneur. So, at Real Fake Bitcoin, if you're out there listening to this, maybe you can look that book up. I wish I, I wish I, uh, I knew the artist. Maybe I'll look it up and I'll reply to you on Twitter, so you have it. But the first thing you should do: be aware of your industry, be aware of uh, what market demands there are, what what needs are not being met, and then try and evaluate how you can meet those needs. And uh, I think that's that's probably shoot your shot from there. And shoot your shot, man. You know, but, but don't listen to me because I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't. I, don't, yeah. I never I, had my own business, so I had a. I had a pretty much a loser. I had a, a pretty a pretty good um, small business going there for for a couple of years in Hawaii, and uh, and if you know Hawaii, you know it's a hard place to start a business, and so uh, and it's all, even a harder place now with with all the restrictions they have. Um, hey, dude, I still have your shirt. You still got my shirt. That's cool. hanging in the closet right now. Oh, I can go put it on. You could wear that around work and nobody would even know. That's cool. Yeah, they'd be proud of me. Yeah. So, um, but that's the answer, man. I think that's the answer I'm going to give you. So, uh, Gumbo, you got anything you want to add to that? 
man, I never had my own business. You put me on the spot, You're making me look bad. Yeah, but you can be, you know, you can be entrepreneurial without being, you know, self-employed or, or or starting your own business. You can be entrepreneurial within the industry or within the company or within the the the, the sector that you're already in. You know, one of the ways you can be entrepreneurial for your employer is if, you know, if you have a good employer, you want to take care of them. Maybe there's something that your company is not providing um, and you can help evaluate how your company can now do a better job of providing this service or this product or this good or whatever it is that you do, whatever it is your company does. Uh, as, as an employee, you can be an entrepreneurial employee. And, uh, you know, the benefit of that is, of course, you know, you, you expose yourself to, um recognition, you know, promotions, pay raises, et cetera. The other thing, the other downside is, is uh, a lot of companies will have, um, you know, you'll have to sign some sort of a, an agreement that any, any, anything that is developed in that company is a property of the company. Uh, so, you know, you have to weigh those options. Is it worth it to you to help your company grow? Or is it worth it to you to hang on to that little nugget of knowledge and start, you know, st- you know, strike out on your own and start your own thing. So, you know, everybody's answer is different, right? Some yeah. people work for really good companies. Some people don't. Or find the right crypto that, uh, and you time it and it works for you. I don't know it. what that's like, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the market, right? Paying attention to the market again, yeah. you know, understanding how, how that, how that crypto market works um, and, uh, and, and calculating that risk and then executing. That's cool. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. And uh, Gumbo, if we don't have anything else, let's uh, let's get into this Jeremy R. Hammond episode let's on, go, on informed consent. I want to hear it All again. Right. Without further ado, here we go. Ta-ta. Well, welcome to Unshackled Liberty, ladies and gentlemen. We have Jeremy R. Hammond with us. What a day to have Jeremy R. Hammond with us. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing all right. Well, all, all things considered, personally doing all right. Things aren't so doing so well with the, with the nation. I know. For certain. So we had this we had this episode planned, and I mean, I, I I flaked because I had I had some personal stuff come up right right like last minute, so we had to cancel last minute. I apologize for that, um, but I'm glad we're able to make it work today. And today of all days, the president comes out with this with this thing where he's going to force private companies to, uh, you know, basically, if you got 100 employees or more, you're gonna, they're going to force their, your, their employees to vaccinate or prove that they're negative for COVID every week, right? That's nuts, dude. And that yep. falls in line a little bit with the conversation that we're going to have today about implied, con- or not implied, informed consent, implied consent. <laughs> informed directly consent, yeah. to the issue it's yeah, yeah absolutely. this it's couldn't be more timely yeah 
So what is? Hang on, my computer doing something silly. Hey, um, what a great, that was a good thing that you flicked last time because this could have been more perfect. Well, I don't know if perfect, but the timing is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what? So what's informed consent, Jeremy? So informed consent is one of the most fundamental ethics in medicine. It's the simple concept that we all have a fundamental right to uh, to make our own choice about whether to undergo any medical intervention, um, of course, including vaccinations. Uh, it, you know, it was established as you know in in law, codified in law, uh, international law as well as you know national laws around around the world um, as a, a fundamental human right <clears throat> after World War II with the Nazi experimentation. On human subjects against their against their um, will, and so you know this this idea of uh, the idea that you can force someone to undergo a medical intervention against their will uh, is a direct assault on a fundamental human right. Um, and there's a problem with the medical establishment, the public, maybe so-called public health establishment, yeah. where that they do not respect the right to informed consent. And they bureaucrats essentially want to be able to make decisions on behalf of everyone without an individualized risk benefit analysis. And they want to be able to make like a, a population level risk benefit analysis. Well, and just for the say, greater you know, good. I mean, you don't tell me you're against the greater good. It's for <laughs> right. the greater good, right? Right. Well, every, every tyrant says that their actions are for the greater good. I mean, that's how every act of tyranny in all of history has been justified. That's right. That's right. And so uh, it really is a, a, an issue of a, a, an assault on our fundamental human rights. That's right. So are you, do you consider yourself an anti-vaxxer? I know we talked a little bit no, about this last I, time you are on the show. Uh, no, I, I really dislike, you know, to me, it's not about being pro right. or anti-vaccine. It's, it's not about being for or against vaccines. It's about every individual needs to make their own choice. That's right. But if, you know, and, and if other people think that, you know, the, the risk benefit analysis works in favor of getting vaccinated, I have no problem with that. I'm not going to tell them, well, you shouldn't do that. I mean, that's up to them. So I mean, just the whole language in, in the mainstream discourse, of, you know, like the anti-vaxxer movement, you know, uh, is really, it's just so propagandistic because yeah. it, it, it skews the discussion away from the real issues into being pro or anti-vaccine, which, you know, it's, it's not about that at all. It's about being, it, the, the real issue is not pro or anti-vaccine. The real issue is, are you for or against the right to inform consent? That's right. And that's, the, that's we, we need to change the discussion. We need to yeah, they use shift that, the whole focus. They, they use they, that anti yeah. yeah. There you go. To, enter, to, enter, to energize a mass of people that, that go, it falls into the favor of those that are trying to nudge the situation into their corner. Right. And so, you know, everyone who, would label me as an anti-vaxxer because I criticize public health policy, for example, well, they're anti-informed consent. Yeah. You know, and so we just need to, we just, that, that's the kind of language we need to use and fire it right back at them. It's yeah. like, well, why are you against human rights? Yeah. Why are, why are you in favor of violating human rights? I mean, that's the real issue. Exactly. My body, my choice, right? Yeah. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> in a sense, that's funny. Um, not funny, haha, but like you're right. Yeah, we, so they're, if they're I, gonna if they're going to use the uh, you know yeah. English language as a weapon to smack us in the face with, right? Then we most certainly can can do the same thing. So, but I'm not anti-vaxxer either. In fact, I've had every single vaccine known to mankind, but they're all in me, uh, including yeah. including all of the various versions of the coronavirus vaccine. So I'm good. I'm really good. Like I'm really good. So okay, I, I even got some anthrax. 
You got yeah, I got some anthrax too. So you had so there was a there was you a were in the military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was in the late 90s when they were pushing that. And I remember that was a big deal. Um I had a couple friends that tried to fight the system and and of course we all just kind of like went along with it after a while cuz you know nobody wants the bad the bad mark on their permanent record when you're going to get kicked out of the military for not taking the uh mandated you know, mandatory yeah, the mandated yeah. anthrax right. vaccine. Told. Which didn't the, that the, the mandated experimental vaccine. Yeah. So didn't I was that... get, I, I had to get the anthrax like up into the mid the mid 2000s so that you know wow. they were still doing it so Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know it went on that far. So I'm pumped full of all the good stuff. Didn't they, um, didn't they rule in the Supreme court that that was like, that they couldn't do that unethical. I thought there was some ruling about that. And of course for me, it was too late because I already had all 15 shots or however many there were that they pump into you. I don't uh, don't know about that actually. Um, that could be the case, but that's not a a vaccine that I've really focused a lot of research on. No, I understand. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But is there, is there a precedent? on that at all uh, that you know of in, in the courts for, um, you know, the, this, uh, a man, any mandatory medical procedure that's done on behalf it, of somebody for the greater good, you know, with quotes uh, there, there may be, I mean, I don't know about Supreme court. You're uh, not a lawyer. I'm, I'm, but, giving, but I'm tossing you hard. Maybe I'm, with, maybe I'm with throwing, lower courts. I'm throwing, uh, but, I'm throwing know, hard questions thing. at you and I'm sorry. I didn't, I don't mean to. No, I just it's fine. Have it's fine. Let's yeah. talk about that for a minute because yeah. you know, they always rely on that one Supreme court. What was it? Jacobson. I forget the name of the, the case and the, and the guy mm-hmm. in the case, um, but back way back when in the early 1900s, I think um, with the smallpox vaccine, right. There was that case where the guy didn't want to get the vaccine because he had already had um, bad reactions to vaccination. Yeah. So he didn't want to get the smallpox shot. Um, and and if, you know, at the time it was like, well, you either get a shot or you pay a $5 fine and something like that. Um, and, you know, he lost the case in the Supreme court and the Supreme court ruled that the States have a right to coerce people into vaccination. And if they are not willing to undergo the medical intervention, then they have to pay a fine. So that's coercion. It's uh, you know, it's the yeah. use of coercion to get someone to accept something, a medical intervention that fundamentally violates the right to informed consent. Some years later, that court case, that, that Supreme Court ruling was cited in another Supreme Court ruling to justify uh, forced sterilization of women. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And if you think it through, if you think it through, logically, that's logically sound. If you know, if if you accept their premise it, from an amoral, that, from an amoral or even immoral perspective, it's very precisely logical. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely yeah. that that if if the if the state has the power to do this, therefore they also have the power to do this. Now I reject the premise. I'm Absolutely. saying that the state yeah. that, that original Supreme Court ruling, both the Supreme Court yeah. rulings are an atrocity. Um, but but the fact that they use that logic, it was the same reasoning. The same reasoning by which they, they to this day, they justify vaccine mandates. If you follow that logic through to its corollaries, well, what can't the state force you to do? So are you saying you know, that they're basically claiming ownership of your body? Yeah. No, they are. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't be the first time that they've done that. It's just, you know, they, they do it repeatedly. So, so without, with those two cases, the precedent's been said are set that maybe the president does have the authority to enforce this new edict that he came out and uh, and spoke of today. Well, 
uh, those cases involved state uh, okay. you know, mandates, right? So that it, it, there is still the question of federal versus state government. And also, I mean, we're supposed to have the separation of powers. Yeah, right? Right. No, you're right. So, yeah. And, and the, the idea of the, of the executive branch just declaring law by fiat yeah. without the legislative branch even being involved I mean, it's just fundamentally unconstitutional. It is on its face. On it, yeah. And so there's also that. So there's the, the federal versus state law in in, in jurisdiction um, is one issue. But then there's also just like within the federal government itself and the, the limits that the Constitution is supposed to, um, you know, it's supposed that the whole purpose of the Constitution is to confine the the federal government and the power of the federal government to certain, you know. Uh, specified powers and authorities yeah how's that going for us yeah exactly it was nice in theory huh way back in the day (laughs) but you know in in practice it doesn't work i mean the system the the u.s system it doesn't work and so we need to do something different we need to move on we need to advance civilization beyond this idea of you know uh democracy that we we currently have well it, it works for the for the current paradigm you know but not for the little guys, the little it, people. It benefits it, it benefits a few at the expense of many. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a, there was a doctor recently, right? And and was it in Oregon that mm-hmm. uh, that that lost his practice because he tried to give his his uh, his patients um, the opportunity to have informed consent. Doctor Paul Thomas um, had his license suspended. Okay. Um, uh, by the Oregon Medical Board on. Um, December 4th, I think it was. Wow. Which was days that on, on November 22nd, Dr. Thomas had published a peer reviewed study um, showing health outcomes for pediatric patients in his clinic. And that study compared uh, his completely unvaccinated kids with his variably vaccinated kids. Uh, and, and the results showed that the unvaccinated children had significantly less incidence of diagnoses and office wow. visits for a broad range of health outcomes. In other words, what the study showed uh, was strongly indicated was that the unvaccinated kids were the healthiest children in his practice. Mm. The Oregon Medical Board had demanded he produced peer review evidence to support his approach and his approach being respect for informed consent. So the problem from the state's perspective is that he had a lower vaccination rate in his clinic. They don't like that. They want, they want, um, you know, pediatricians yeah. getting that vaccination rate up. Uh, and so he, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't towing the line. He wasn't trying to pressure parents and in, into vaccinating according to the CDC schedule. So that was a problem. So it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that days after that published, that study was published, uh, that they suspend emergently suspended his license mm. uh, on the pretext that he, his, his approach to vaccinations posed a, pu- a threat to public health, which he had just debunked in this, in yeah. a peer reviewed study yeah. that they had requested. He just showed, yeah, he just showed that they, that it, that wasn't the case. Is he yeah, fighting he that? Good health outcomes. Is he fighting yeah. that or is he just kind of accepted so, it? Or, yeah. So yeah. to update. So, uh, and then, uh, and then I had written an article published in, in March about that whole story um, quite a lengthy article, actually a book length article, which, and then it now is as of August 24th is published as a book under the title, the war on informed consent. Um, so that book is now available. The war on informed consent tells the, tells the story of Dr. Paul Thomas and, and explains the context because it's not just about this one incident. It, you know, there's a big, bigger picture here 
um, of the, the title speaks to it. The, the, it's the war on informed consent. And so to update you guys, um, he did, there was kind of a positive development, which was that um, the medical board did conditionally withdraw its suspension order. Okay. And so I'm, I'm what was the conspiracy? Too much about the motives for that. Let's just take this back, They backed down somewhat. I mean, not entirely, but they they did back down somewhat. Although they're of course still going after him. I mean, he's not done. He's got a big battle ahead of him still. Um, On the other hand, a a step backwards was that that study, I think in late July, was retracted. Mm. However, interestingly, if you go and read the journal, uh, and I forget the name of the journal, uh, it's kind of quite a long name, uh, but if, if you go and read the, the, the notice of retraction that the editors published, uh, it contains no s- substance. They just criticized the study as, as, you know, that it, it was unsupported. They, they, they you know, the, the, their conclusions weren't solidly supported by the scientific evidence, something like this, very generic, uh, uh, vague criticism of the study. They didn't, they didn't identify a single substantive flaw in the article, certainly not one that would justify retraction. This is very interesting because I happen to know um, that the basis for that retraction was an anonymously written letter complaining about that study. Uh, And so Dr. Paul Thomas and uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, who was his co-author and the data analyst for that study, um, proposed that the journal editors just publish that letter. The letter, the anonymously written letter, just, mm-hmm. just publish it. Like, let's air this criticism. Yeah, let's get it out. And there. then, and then also publish our response to it. Yeah, the editors refused to do that, and then they retracted the study without even specifying even a single thing, a single flaw that would justify the retraction. And they didn't publish the criticism, and they kept that secret. That's okay. I, I believe in science. We're okay. Yeah. 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 And so that, that speaks volumes, I think, as to their intentions, it has nothing, it has nothing to do with science, I would propose I yeah. and everything to do with politics. That's what I was, that's what I'm getting at. It's, it's scary that we, that we live in a world where, where medicine, the medical system, I guess, or the, the industry or the, you know, whatever, you know, the practice of, of helping people not be sick or helping people get better. Um, it's such, it's so politicized. It's so frightening. It's so frightening. You know, how, can how many you tra- times, how many times have we talked about that same scenario on Unshackled Liberty, but especially as of late, like it's yeah, always the big entities going after someone targeting them and think about how hard it is to fight your way out of that. It's so because- it's, it's a, it's a problem because we, we want to trust these people, right? You know, they, I mean, you've heard the expression, you know, we've all said, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah, a doctor. Yeah. So, so automatically you're taking somebody with a medical degree, you're putting them on a pedestal to some, to some level because you expect that whatever they say, at least in regard to this specific topic, uh, you know, this field of study that where they have their degree in or whatever, right? They're going to be the expert that's going to help you through whatever you're going through. And when it's, when it's politicized like it is, you don't know who you can trust anymore. And that's frightening. That's frightening as an individual. But it's even more frightening as a parent, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm 44 years old. I just had a birthday. Congratulations. Happy birthday. You know? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, and, and you know, but I'm done probably most likely, I think, with having kids. I think I'm done, you know. So whatever happens to me, at least genetically, you know, it's just me. It doesn't carry on to the next. But, you know, I got kids, man. 
you know, and we all do, right? We all, all three of us do. And so now you're worried about like, you know, I got two teenage daughters and I got a 10 year old boy and I'm like, you know, I want to make sure that they're set up for life. That's happy and healthy and you know, all that other stuff. But if I can't even trust the medical community, um, who can I trust? That's sick. It's Precisely. sick. It's scary. You know, it's scary that yeah. somebody, somebody who you're supposed to be able to trust, they hold this position of trust. And uh, obviously, clearly, we had a, we we had a we did an episode last time about homeschooling your kids, and we kind of took a couple shots at the public education system. Um, but in similar in similar terms, not all teachers are bad, right? I mean, there's right. a lot of good doctors out there too, a lot of good medical professionals out there also who you can trust. But you know, the question is, how do I know I have one of those? You know, right? And even the ones who are, you know, like the, even the good doctors are so limited by what they can do. Yeah. I mean, just to, to speak from personal experience, and, and yeah, I had one decent doctor. I had um, for several years. I was suffering terribly from. I didn't know what it was from. I was having, you know, like reactions to food and migraines and just like itchy rashes all over. And I didn't know what was going on. And, and, uh, I couldn't get any doctors to help me. And I, I would just, I just went into the medical literature and, and I, I literally diagnosed myself just by looking at my symptoms and things in the medical literature. And so what, what I fig- figured it out is that I had something called leaky gut. Um, but I had, I had doctors like literally mock me. <laughs> oh, wow. Because I would go in there and I'd say, I have leaky gut. I need help. I need help to, to figure this out. Uh, and like, they didn't, they were so ignorant. I mean, they didn't know it existed. They didn't know that what it, they didn't know that was, well, they didn't know, know what it was. They, they thought it was like some pseudoscience quackery or something. I, I mean, one guy, one guy went to it. He, he, he like, he literally mocked me. He's like, you read a lot on the internet, don't you? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I go to pubmed.gov and I, I read the medical literature. You should try it sometime. And, you know, so and another, funny. another doctor, um, same thing, just like mocking me for, for saying like, cause he didn't believe it was a real thing. And I said, well, Go again. I said, go to pubmed.gov and look up leaky gut, look up intestinal hyperpermeability and read the thousands of studies about it. You know, like they're so ignorant. And, and I had one doctor, um, one primary care physician um, who, who actually would listen to me, which speaks volumes. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so rare. Like none of the other doctors would even listen to me. He would listen to me. We well, did all this homework for him. And he, <laughs> he would, he would, he would show me respect. And, and he even told me, he's like, wow, you know a lot more about this than I do. Um, you know, you've obviously done your research and you know, like what doctor ever admits, admits that that's like and, the first uh, the indicator is, of somebody you can trust, man. It's somebody who's like humble enough to recognize that they don't know everything. Right. And that's he awesome. hit a wall. Like, he, you know, he hit a wall because like he, he would just got to the point where like, I just, I can't, like there was a test I wanted, or so there's a simple urine test that you can actually do to, to, to diagnose leaky gut. And like, he couldn't order the test for me. He's like, I, I literally can't do it. <laughs> Um, because the system was just denying him that, that ability with That's so frustrating insurance was working and things. And so, and I said, I'll pay out of pocket. He said, I can't, I literally can't do that. I can't accept your payment out of pocket. So he, he, like, he just, he couldn't help me. Like he wanted to, yeah. he was a good doctor. I mean, I considered him to be a good doctor just for the fact that he would listen to me and show me respect, but, but it was so hamstrung um, this by is, the system. This yeah. is, that's the thing. And he said, he actually retired an interesting story. He said, uh, he told me that he was retiring and he said, the reason why is because like, he can't practice medicine anymore. Those were his words. I said, I can't practice medicine anymore. I'm being dictated to what to do. And he gave the example of a, an elderly woman who had been on some medication. I don't remember what, for what, um, for many, many years. It had proven safe for her. It had proven effective for her. And they wanted to switch the drug on her. 
like the bureaucracy wanted to yeah. change the drug to some wow. newer, more ex- experimental drug that hadn't been on the market as long. It didn't have as a good track record. It was, didn't know whether it was going to work for her, but he literally couldn't keep her on the same drug because he was being dictated to of how to practice medicine. And so he, he quit. Like he, he said, he went into re- retirement before, um, you know, a little early, I guess, um, for that reason. It's got to be so frustrating for the guys yeah. that are in the industry that, that, that are there for the right reasons and are trying to genuinely help people. And I'm, you know, not everybody, I guess, you know, nobody goes to, nobody goes to medical school saying I'm, I'm going to be, you know, a bureaucratic lackey, right? Nobody right. does that. But at some point along the way, right. you just kind of go, you just kind of go, well, Precisely. I guess this is who I am now, you know, and you just kind of. Precisely. It. And so it's, yeah, it's not necessarily about the individuals in the system. It's not that, you know, doctors are bad or mm-hmm. something. It's just like, mm-hmm. they're so constrained by the system that the problem yeah. is the system itself. The problem is the establishment itself. And speaking to, you know, who can you trust, you know, that question and what you were talking about. Um, you know, I think this is a big thing. There needs to be really a, a greater awakening to the fact that public health authorities, like the CDC, the FDA, you know, the, the, uh, they that they are not worthy of our trust. They're not. They're not worthy of our trust, and they've proven that over and over and over again. We should look at uh, anything that that's 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 backed by government with suspicion automatically. We yes. should just automatically do that. Like, and and the fact that we don't all already do that is, is frightening to me because how much more evidence do you need? You know, just, well, that speaks to the yeah. education system, right? As you were yeah. just kind of alluding to, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it a big problem. Yeah. Jerry, were there anything said about the families that was, that, that, that was seeing this doctor that was going to this doctor and all of a sudden his, his license revoked and, and, you know, whoops, out of a doctor now. A doctor yeah. Well, it's that, built, a, built a relationship with and, that's a good question because um, fortunately, you know, he had other practitioners in his practice who continued operations. Mm. Um, and now he is able to practice, but with restrictions. Uh, um, but the thing is, is he's not only, he's not only a pediatrician, he's actually a, 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 a an addiction specialist. Oh, wow. And so he also was helping addicts like who are addicted to opiates and things. Um, to try to, you know, uh, to help them. And it's for him to suddenly not be able to see those patients that posed a public health threat. Yeah. Yeah. That posed yeah. an emergency. And that to was all the those the medical board Yeah, to all those re- recovering addicts and everyone that's exposed to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that too, not just to them, yeah. but yeah, the people they know, I mean, that was totally irresponsible and, and to me criminally irresponsible on the part of the Oregon medical board. Uh, when they just pulled his ability to, to help those patients. Um, and of so, course, yeah, they're protected it, by the bureaucracy. So nobody on that board is going to be facing any disciplinary no, action. Nobody any, is anybody accountable. Yeah. 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 No yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. How, that's how another you, aspect of the story. You don't have to answer this question. It's personal. How are you doing with your leaky gut? Have you, have oh, you it's, past healed, that? Uh, it's healed a lot. You know, it's not, I don't think it's 100% where it used to be. Um, but yeah, I, I can, I'm not having those reactions anymore. I, mean, I, I very rarely get a migraine anymore. So yeah, Good. it's definitely a much, much better. And, and it was just, you know, a matter of number one, just changing my diet, you know, making sure I'm eating like or, as much organic food as, as I can afford, you know, cause organic, it can be pricey. Although prices yeah. have come down contrary to um, other things, other things, organic yeah. foods. Yeah. 
Uh, but things like that, you know, just avoiding triggers and 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 just trying to eat healthier okay. and, and and working on you know making sure uh, working on the the gut microbiome and, and keeping it balanced and things. So yeah, it's uh, it's much much better. Interesting. Good man. Good. Good for well, you. Once I diagnosed myself, I was able to treat myself. The doctors <laughs> were, the doctors were literally less than helpful to me, but I, I figured it out on my own and I healed myself. So the next time I get like a, a severe illness, not like a fake COVID thing, I'm gonna go straight to the farmer's almanac. <laughs> start there farmer farmer's almanac do they still is that still a thing i don't know i hope it is though i I think i think they still do farmer's almanacs yeah Um, but you know one big thing was just like avoiding like glyphosate i didn't know i wasn't aware of the problem with glyphosate for for many many years um of course being that that being the the active ingredient in roundup right you guys are familiar with glyphosate um and i I think i was getting a lot of glyphosate exposure roundup goes on my cereal in the morning (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it literally is in, in, in probably most cereals. Um, and I, but I was just, I was, I was unaware of it. And so, but once I kind of learned about, about that problem and I started, you know, I was able to avoid it. Um, I think that was one of the big factors uh, among others. So. Isn't Roundup like V nerve agent or something like that? Just like a, I don't know. We're speculating. So, well, what's yeah. the company that was. That, Monsanto. That, yeah. That, well, yeah they, they were the ones Monsanto. who did agent orange. Right. I mean, I think, I think. And now, and now they're. <laughs> Their chemi- the chemical companies of the past that produced uh, biological um, whatever ingredients for war <laughs> are now the ones making our pharmaceuticals. Thank you. Yep. No, that's the truth. That's wow. Right. What? Hang yeah. on. What? Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. The, com- the companies that were doing the biological <laughs> warfare. Shut up. Are the companies. Yeah. Is this that are is now- this a conspiracy that I don't no, know? About? That's, no, that's, no. that's true. Is this real? Like this is Let's like documented. Yes. 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 But how did I not know this? I'm usually all over this stuff. What is this yeah. now? Look up. Look up Monsanto's history. We get flagged in, in like Vietnam with a like Agent yeah, Orange. Agent Orange. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, my computer's slow. Come over. We're gonna trust you to get it. Well. <laughs> oh well, that's interesting. I totally derailed the whole conversation. That's a well, maybe not the whole thing. So um. <laughs> Yeah, let's get back on. Let's get back on informed consent. So, what is so uh, your book? Let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, so, your right. book is about what was the guy's name? Doctor what? Paul Thomas. Doctor Paul Thomas in Oregon. Where where in Oregon was this? Portland. Portland. Well, that that's it right there, man. It's Portland. Yeah, <laughs> it's Portland. It's like Portland, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles. You know, Berkeley. Just get rid of all those places, and we'll be fine. All of them. So anyway, but, uh, so he's, he's, you say he's practicing again now with restrictions. What are those restrictions? Do you have, do you have details on that? Um, I, I couldn't list them all, but like, for example, the, probably the biggest one is that he's not able to have those consultations with, with parents anymore about okay. vaccinations. Really? So, you know, nor- normally the process would be, he'd, he'd talk to them and say, well, this is what the CDC recommends. This is the schedule. Here's information about the vaccines. And he would just kind of give them information to be able to make their own choice. And then if they decided to decline the vaccines, he'd respect that. And they'd sign a, you know, the, the declination form and, and he'd document their decision. Um, but he's not allowed to go through that process with, with them anymore. Uh, so currently. are you, to my knowledge currently. Yeah. You just kind of, are you aware of, um, you triggered something. Are you aware of doctors now that are like, like weeding out patients that refuse the coronavirus vaccine? Have you, have you, have you been aware of that? I haven't seen specific examples of that, but certainly, I mean, certainly this is a big problem going years back with, Mm -hmm. with pediatricians kicking 
patients out of their practice if the parents don't uh, comply with the CDC's routine childhood vaccine schedule. We, we ourselves were, were expelled from a pediatric practice yep. uh, earlier this year. Wow. Yeah. What, I wrote so an you article about it. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. on your mailing list, so I do get your articles and, and, I, and yeah. I do enjoy them. Thanks for sending them. Yeah. The, um, and so, now that the, now that the, the Pfizer vaccine has approval, not just emergency use authorization, expect we'll start seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. So do you, what is the purpose behind that? Is that a, is that like a liability thing for the doctors or for the, the physicians or what? Um, well, number one, it's, it's a means of coercion. I think they, they think that they can um, coerce parents. Uh, I think that's the number one goal is to just coerce parents into accepting the vaccines and think, oh no, we don't want to be expelled from the practice. We'll just do it. Um, so it's a, it's a means of coercion, but, but, you know, beyond that, in terms of the, their motivation, I mean, I, there's financial incentives, hmm. you know, for them to, and also, you know, that they're under pressure to try to maintain sufficient vaccination rates in their practice. Um, you know, there's, there's incentives, actually, Paul Thomas, there was another study that he had published using, you know, it, information from his clinic data from his clinic, um, calculating the revenue that his clinic lost the opportunity cost for him to, ex- to, for, to respect parents right to informed consent. So, you know, in other words, you know, looking at, you know, had he kept a certain vaccination rate in his practice, you know, what would the revenue have been compared to what he actually received? And he, you know, he's, he was lost losing out on, you know, I think it was over a million dollars annually mm. for his clinic. Mm. Uh, I don't remember exactly the, the, the numbers, but, but uh, there's a, there's also a published paper about that. That's and certainly so, enough to, to, uh, to, you know, incentivize specific behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's yeah. financial incentives. I mean, they want to be able to bill for the, for the vaccinations. They get more money when they, because there's administrative fees and things. And even, even, you know, even if, uh, for example, you know, the federal government through what's called the vaccine um, VCP, the vaccine for vaccines for children program, I think okay. is what it is, um, it, um, is actually, you know, funded through Medicaid. Um, but even if, even if, you know, it's funded through Medicaid, it, there's still, you know, like they could, doctors can still charge like administrative fees and things. And so just on the administrative fees that they're losing tons of money, if they're, if they're not, you know, if, if they're accepting patients who say, well, we're not vaccinating, you know, they're, they're losing money. I think I found a little something silver for you, gentlemen. That's such a ridiculous thing though, man. Just, it seems like you just, you take something that's supposed to be good and you just, you, you incentivize, I don't know, man, just to be, you know, well, the, the in, behavior incentiva- incentivization inside of, inside an, of an, something. Yeah, another factor in, in terms of incentives is just consider the fact, you know, they want to get as many patients in their office, mm-hmm. do, do whatever, it's whatever billable things that they can do and get them out. Yep. You don't want to sit there and listen and have, you don't want to have a you know, no. half an hour conversation about listening to parents' reasons about why they don't want to vaccinate. They don't want to yeah. have that discussion. The small town doctor that does house calls because he knows his neighbors is gone. You know what I mean? Like that, right. that whole thing. That, yes. that, you know. Yeah. Doctor patient relationship is, yeah. is gone. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. What, what do you got gumbo? So a little, a little Monsanto, it's an American company. We, we know that. So Britannica.com, uh, there was an article written Monsanto. Its full name was Monsanto company, formerly of 1933 to 64. It was a chemical company, Monsanto chemical works, American corporation, leading producer of chemical agricultural, and biochemical products after being acquired by Bayer in 2018. Hmm. It ceased to exist as an entity, but there's plenty oh, there for you to go read. 
but so it doesn't think, exist anymore technically is that is that what you, is that what it says i think uh, and it's original uh that's right yeah it was bought up by bear yeah but I, I didn't realize it i was i guess i was thinking it was still a subsidiary of yeah. bear or some kind but maybe they've done away with it entirely they were right up the road from us gumbo when we lived in eva in uh okay, yeah. on, on oahu they were right up if you went up uh, fort weaver road all the way up towards kunia over by the sewer plant they, they were no 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 keep going all the way up up okay. the hill okay. going up like you're driving towards uh, the north shore they were okay. um that whole open field that's off to the left that goes out towards the Waianae mountains over there that's all monsanto all of that it's crazy and uh or at least whatever monsanto what it used to be monsanto or whatever and then the uh you know, there's all this speculation. Well, why do they have such a huge operation on an island? Well, the answer, of course, is if you have a problem, you can isolate an island pretty easily. Good for which, testing. Which is what we saw with the coronavirus, right? You, we Hawaii was isolated pretty quickly. Remember that? They shut yeah. it down and they locked it down and you Fast. couldn't move around and everybody was quarantined. And yeah, you know, you can't do that on a continent uh, as easily, but you yes. can sure lock down a small island. So after going through this last couple of years with all this the interesting times that we exist in it just reminds me of 1984 so much i mean i just can't help it i i just can't help it i know it sounds maybe paranoid it's very yeah it's very orwellian yeah for real uh, and for i don't understand how people can't see that and maybe tie a couple things together and think hey this is this is odd this isn't good should we uh rise up and try to have something say something about this as, as a whole i don't know well, full bellies don't yeah. revolt, right? Those things happen. So as long as as long as people are comfortable, and when you have the government paying people to stay home because they because of the lockdowns and all that other stuff, they they get comfortable, right? And uh, this goes back to like what we talked about last during the last episode with the education system is, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, the public education system is very successful to that end, right? To creating a, a bunch of drones who just want to be led. And they don't want to question um, what's really happening, you know, yeah. and uh, it, people you would normally think are pretty smart, like high on the IQ, you know, these guys have good IQs. They're high, they're smart. They're uh, you know, whatever they have, they have these degrees and they have these positions of, of, of leadership and, and trust and, and all this stuff, but they just want to be led. Yeah. And they just want to, they just want to obey. They, they never learn how to think for themselves critically, which is silly because they're smart. Right, but super when it comes intelligent down, people, yeah, but they you, can't but, think for themselves. They can yeah. regurgitate. They can they can take oh, information yes. and they can they can recite it no problem, and they can recall data and all this other stuff and all these very commendable traits and skills. But yeah, when it comes down to critical thinking and and you know, looking at things from a from a you know questioning eye, they 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 struggle, you know. Yeah, and you know, look at coming back to you know the public health establishment. Yeah. And they're always talking about the science, the science. <laughs> the thing is, is, is number one, half the time they're talking about the science. Well, what the science says is completely different from what they say the science says. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. But then going even further, I mean, even if science does say something and they, and they get it, even if they get it right, the thing is, is the entire scientific medical establishment is corrupt to its core. Yeah. You know, this is something people need to understand. And there's so much, there's, there's the dishonesty within the literature. Yeah. And it's you know, like, like I read papers and I, I just fraud. I mean, it's just yeah. blatant fraud 
and you can find these examples of, of um, well, for example, just uh, one, one recent example was um, there was a paper uh, I, I, from Israeli researchers looking at data over there, uh, comparing vaccine conferred to natural immunity. Uh, and of, of course they found that natural immunity is far more protective than the vaccines. Um, but they also, well, that's claimed, what the science says anyway. Right. You know, well, certainly. Yeah. That's <laughs> so they have to use their linguistic judo to, <laughs> to make you not think that. Right. Well, yeah. but no, the, the thing is, is they, they said in their abstract that um, people who had, were previously infected and vaccinated had even better immunity. Mm. So they're saying, so, so the media ran with that, like science magazine claimed that people who um, were infected and then got vaccinated had better protection than people who were just, just with plain old natural immunity. That was false. That's a lie. You can look in the study. That's not what they said. If you, well, they did say that in the abstract, it was very misleading, but if you read the whole study, they say right in there that they did not find a statistically significant benefit. Wow. Of vaccinating naturally immune people. Wow. What they did to get the statistical significance is when they said people who were both infected and vaccinated, they were talking about people who were vaccinated and then infected. And then infected. Well, do you, so yeah, this, yeah, is, so, this so, is the so, kind, this so is the like, kind of deception. Yeah. This is the kind of deception. And so if you don't like scrutinize papers and read them for yourself and, and uh, science magazine wasn't the only one um, uh, news medical uh, website, they had the same false reporting and they're sort of claiming, oh, look at this benefit of vaccination, but that there was no statistically significant benefit of vaccinating naturally immune people shown in that study. That's crazy. And actually confronted, I confronted the author of that science um, article. She acknowledged the error, but all they did to so supposedly correct it. And as a result of me confronting her, they corrected it, quote unquote, corrected. Um, but all they did was they took away the word then. So it still says that, you know, people who were uh, pre previously infected and vaccinated. Mm. So instead of saying, and then vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you see the deception there. Yeah. So yeah, they're acknowledging, oh yeah, well it, the order matters. So we'll just take out the word then and people will still come to the same conclusion. I mean, no, nobody's going to read that and think, oh, well they were infected after they got vaccinated. I mean, who would interpret it that way naturally? I mean, nobody's going to interpret it that way. So, so this is an example of how they're deliberately deceiving readers. It's deliberately deceitful because they know the truth. They know that that study did not find a statistically significant benefit. So, so then my brain, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I'm, and I'm so frustrated because this whole industry is we, we are conditioned to trust these people, right? It goes back to what I was saying earlier. With, with these people, we trust them with our health. We trust them with our lives in a lot of ways, right? And we can't because of the corruption yeah. that you've just kind of shown us. So the question then is, what's the, what's the solution? You know, how do we how do we solve this problem? And is it something that, that can be solved? I mean, I, you know, you, you're going to have a hard time getting most doctors to recognize that they work for a corrupt organization because they then then they themselves have to go. Well, maybe there's some corruption within me. Right. And right. And that's not why they got into medicine. Every single one of them didn't get into medicine for that. They got into medicine to help people, you know. Right. And this is this flies in the face for why yeah, they're even. The why they're even turn on them, yeah. There's so much cognitive dissonance. I mean, people yeah. don't they don't want to acknowledge the reality because it is that's not it wasn't their perception of, of like the way it was going to be when they went over in medical school or like what they wanted yeah. their lives to be and what they wanted yeah. their role in society to be. But then yeah. they get into that system and they're trapped in it and they don't so that, 
this confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. So they're going to accept anything that, you know, kind of confirms their, their preconceived beliefs about how this world works yeah. and reject anything that kind of contradicts that. And might suggest that, well, you know, and Dr. Paul Thomas is a really good example of, of a, a, a physician who, you know, was self-critical because he started out yeah. doing the regular mainstream medicine type of thing where like fully vaccinating kids and telling people, well, this is the CDC schedule. So this is what I recommend. And, um, but he, you know, he, he was self-critical enough to, to ask, you know, like, is what I'm doing helping children or is it hurting children? And he was willing to take a good hard look at that and, and actually like investigate that question and start doing his own research and, and coming to the conclusion that, you know, what I've been doing is wrong. So he's awesome. What I'm, he's what like I've been doing million, is though. not helping children and I'm, and I'm hurting children and, right. and, and I, I can no longer do business as usual. And he left, he, he was in a private pr- group practice and he left the practice for that reason, because he said, I can no longer do business as usual. And he opened integrative uh, um, pediatrics in, in Portland um, with the founding principle of respecting informed consent. Good. See, that's the integrity that we that's were taught that these people should should have, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And I I just have so much respect and admiration for him because of that. Of course. I mean, because he's he is the kind of person who is willing to be self-critical, but there's just too few of them. Yeah. There aren't a lot of them. There's there's him and probably a handful of others that 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 uh that that don't get to be um they're not really recognized, right? Your book does a good yeah. job of, of recognizing him. And but it's like ha, ha, yeah, he's one in a million. I mean, probably quite literally one in a million. I don't know yeah. how many doctors are out there. I don't know. Um, and uh, so what do we do? What's the solution for this corrupt organization, for this corrupt industry? Well, you know, and uh, they're not the only ones. I don't, and I don't certainly don't want to pick on, on medical health, you know, the health uh, care community t- totally like, you know, Gumbo and I are veterans and we look back and, you know, how, there's so many veterans with the same level of cognitive dissonance about what it is that we've done overseas that we all played a part in. That, you know, if you if you don't stop and you're not inwardly critical, uh, like you had said, then then you you just kind of go along with it. And you're so afraid to um, take any other position, you know. So for us, I mean, how do we reach veterans for that? You know, and so I guess the same thing is like, how do we reach how do we reach the medical community and, and get them to be better? How do you do that? Is that possible? I, I think it's possible. It's, a, it's an uphill battle yeah. i mean um we have a long way to go we've made great progress we were we were making great progress in terms of the health freedom movement was making great progress prior to the pandemic we've had some setbacks with the pandemic but there's also been some beneficial things happening one of them being just like greater awareness of number mm. one the lack of credibility and trustworthiness of public health authorities uh is is one thing i think there's been a That's great good. awakening of, about that you don't trust um, dr fauci <laughs> You don't trust him? The, the perjurer? He's, he's amazing. He's the best. You don't yeah. trust Dr. Fauci? What's I thought it was hilarious when he perjured himself before yeah. Congress by saying that, you know, he, that the NIH has never funded gain-of-function research oh, wow. um, done by researchers at Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China. That was <laughs> Here's the one, the, the one statement that will make people trust him. Substantial fines up to nearly 14000 per violation. <laughs> That'll make them tr- That's crazy. So, yeah. you know, another, another thing, just, just growing awareness of like the censorship, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people, it's so in your face now. And it used to be like prior to the pandemic, when you would talk about censorship, you know, people, like if you weren't in the health freedom movement and you just like, you weren't aware of it, 
And if you talk about it with people who just were unaware of what was going on, it would they be roll like, their eyes. like a conspiracy. Yeah. yeah, they roll their this eyes. This guy's like crazy. Conspiracy theorist or something. What yeah. do you mean censorship? There's no we're, censorship. We're not in America. We're not we inviting them press. over. Yeah. They're not coming over for dinner. This guy's crazy. Yeah, yeah. trust the news. But now, now it's just like, okay, well, everyone knows that mm-hmm. there's this censorship happening. I mean, you've, you have uh, world-famous scientists whose voices are being literally silenced. They're not yeah. allowed to speak because what they're saying doesn't align with the political agenda, whether it be the lockdowns or the mass vaccinations. Um, so, you know, even world-renowned scientists are being censored. So is that the silver lining? So like yeah, so, in all in all of this in all of this even the dumbest of us can see that there's yes. that there's a conspiracy here right you know and I'm talking well, it's about not, it's, I wouldn't even call it a conspiracy it's yeah. just it's the institutionalized biases yeah. and and um and the corruption within the mm-hmm. system itself that has just come to light in such a blatant blatant way that I think I think that is a benefit in the you know it's a short term setback I think in terms of the progress we were making in the health freedom movement, but in the long term, I think it is going to work against them. I think okay. people there, there, I think it will help to um, help us to reach kind of that, that mass awakening that needs to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's not that we need to like have a majority of opinion on our side, like saying things like, Oh, we need to respect the right to inform consent. It's just, we need to reach a critical mass is all. Right. right. I don't know what percentage of the population that would need to be, but it's just, it's all about like we, number one, educating ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and being truthful and honest with ourselves in terms of, you know, doing a critical analysis and recognizing our own confirmation biases and really just searching for truth in a, in a sincere, honest way. And then, you know, and then just helping to educate other people and just, in just raising that awareness uh, and just spreading truth. And, and it just, working around the sensors jeremy you fixed yourself by your own research yeah I, so i mean there you go is that so is that the is that the alternative right it's like i mean if i have if i if i find out today that i have a heart attack i'm not going to some some tribal witch doctor shaman right i'm going to the tried and true medical professional that's going to help me through this right so the the, the medical establishment is superb when it comes to trauma yeah you know like acute care um they're they're really good you know if i break my arm yeah, I'm gonna... yeah. but what they're terrible at is disease you know we have right. we have a very unhealthy population and the medical establishment is part of the problem and they are part of the problem because they want to treat they want to treat your symptoms they don't want to treat yes. the actual problem which is why you have right. all yeah and they don't even care what the actual problem is this guy's morbidly I mean, obese in my personal experience. Has, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think we've all walked just, into the doctor's well, let's office. give you a drug to yeah. treat the symptoms that way you, you can still be <laughs> yeah you can still be morbidly obese you can still be unhealthy you can still be sedentary here's a pill <laughs> right you know what i mean like keep going right keep going with your doing nothingness go ahead you know yeah. like yeah well like, like for me like they, they would say oh you're itchy well take an antihistamine it's like, well, don't you want to like figure out what's wrong? Like, why am I having yeah. these terrible reactions to foods when I've never had? And it's not like I had food allergies. Yeah, in fact, that's, that's what it is. Well, you have food allergies. No, 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 I don't. That is nuts, though, right? <laughs> no, that is nuts. I mean, that's that's crazy. And we're and we all just kind of accept that. Like, yeah. like you're you're itchy. Here's an antihistamine. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Not the why are you itchy? What? Let's dig down right. into that. What's let's going on? To, why are you suddenly reacting to problems? Yeah. That you've never had a problem with your entire life, and now you're like reacting to things. Well, there's yeah. something going on. Let, let's figure that out. I'm like, no, no curiosity about that whatsoever. It's like Just going to the dock on this. the ship. 
going to the dock on a ship. Doc, I broke my leg. Here's a Motrin. Here's a Motrin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a big problem, but you know, it's just um, I think the the growing awareness, and, and I think too many people still just have this blind faith in public health authorities like the CDC. Mm-hmm. And they look at the CDC and they still have this belief that like, oh, the CDC is a trustworthy source for mm. medical information and getting you know, scientific information. And the thing is they don't understand is that, and you know, I give examples in my book of, of like just how completely untrustworthy the CDC is mm-hmm. and how they lie. I mean, right now on their website, uh, or last I checked, uh, the CDC was claiming that uh, vaccines confer superior immunity to natural immunity. Yeah, that's not true. They're literally claiming that. That's not true, right? Like, no, it's not, not true. Anybody who remembers, like, now, granted, it's been it's been a couple of decades, but but I don't think a lot, too much has changed necessarily. But anybody who remembers their sophomore year in high school biology class knows that that's not true. You know, like that we we learned that we learned that you know vaccines are fine if properly administered and and properly engineered. Vaccines are fine. But recovering from that illness, you know, actually going through it gives you a better, a better, uh, you know, a better immunity than a vaccine. We knew that 25, 30 years yeah. ago. Why, why are people having such a hard time with that now? I, I don't know. It's, it's really astonishing. But, you know, this is the fact that they have been claiming, um, you know, from as soon as the, these vaccines were authorized. And this is the topic of the, the current um writing project that I have going on. I've got a series of, of articles on natural versus vaccine conferred immunity. Um, so I've done a really deep dive into this science. And so it started really early in, in summer of 2020 where they were, there was all these headlines about, oh, studies are finding that, you know, after you, after you recover from, from COVID-19, your, your antibodies wane and they disappear and you're from circulation and, and people are losing their immunity so quickly. And so natural immunity, like it doesn't exist. It, it, it's very weak and it lasts for a short period of time. And all this was a bunch of nonsense. And we know now, I mean, the studies that we have the studies now to show that no, actually, number one, it's not, it's normal for after the acute phase of illness and you have a, a peak antibody titer that develops yeah. and then it's normal for it to, to wane quite rapidly for period after that. But then what happens is, is the, um, the antibody levels do uh, plateau and they persist. So that's one, but Secondly, they don't go away. Right. They just, they, they persist at that level uh, at, at a lower level. Yes. Yeah. But even if they do disappear, it's not a concern because uh, because there's immune memory, right? There's immu- immunologic memory. So your, your body, your B cells uh, and T cells can learn, you know, they learn how to respond to the virus. So they're mm-hmm. trained now so that if you are ever re-exposed, you, you, your body doesn't have to relearn how to fight off the infection. It just, hey, what you it just knows. said is scary. If it learns, what if you throw something in there that would learn it the wrong way? <laughs> well, th- no, that's precisely it. That's, that's a really good question because that's actually one of my big concerns about the vaccines is because there is a phenomenon called original antigenic sin. Uh, and you, you just hit it. So if, um, if, you know, the immunological priming that occurs, you know, such as with vaccination, you know, my question is, will that uh, prejudice the immune response thereafter to be suboptimal for the rest of people's lives? Because that is a phenomenon. I mean, it isn't a known thing that in, depending on the pathogen or the vaccine that this can happen where uh, the initial immunological response to a pathogen or a vaccine can prejudice the response in the future so that it might be suboptimal. So for example, if you get infected with one strain of a virus 
and your body learns how to fight that off. Uh, and then later you're infected with a, you know, a, a variant strain. Uh, it, it could be possible that, that your body is going to mount an immune response as though it was the original strain, but now it's not ideal. Right? So this is called original antigenic sin. Hmm. Um, now we know, we know the evidence is very strong that this is not happening with natural immunity. In fact, the natural immune response, the, the, it's not only that you have immunological memory, but it, it actually broadens over time. Oh, wow. So that, that, that this doesn't happen. I mean, we know that this does, isn't happening. It's just not documented. And we see the opposite happening where the immunological response, when people are re-exposed, um, uh, you know, that the, 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 the breadth of the immunological response is actually greater. So that, that, that it's like continually learning. Um, and so it's not prejudicing with natural infection. It's not prejudice, prejudicing immune response. We're not seeing this original antigenic sin phenomenon. But my question is, what about the vaccines? What happens if you get vaccinated and then you get infected? Does that infection essentially override the, the vaccine yeah, preferred immunity scary, so that yeah. then you have essentially you have now natural immunity? You have the equivalent of it. Or are we going to see this phenomenon where people's immune system is now prejudiced so that they're always going to have a suboptimal immunity to SARS-CoV-2? Well, it's like you have something that's possibly man-made, yes. a pandemic that's possibly man-made, and then you're being treated by man-made vaccines. Yes. And then your body has the ability to learn. And and I don't know, how, how does that differential work? Like, which direction is this going? It's... For listeners, you just threw out the, the whole man-made thing. So let's, let's touch on that. So we don't leave people hanging. So um... <laughs> I, thought it was, I, thought, I thought it was obvious <laughs> two years in, come on people. So, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, is, is the, because the media right up until like earlier this year, uh, you know, all through 2020, and then for several months into this year, they were acting as though the lab origin hypothesis was like some crazy conspiracy theory. I mean, that's what they were calling it. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that it was, it was never, it was, it's always been a legitimate scientific hypothesis. In my view, having also researched that quite extensively, it's the leading hypothesis. It's what best fits the evidence. So, and just to give one example, you know, like when, when SARS uh, outbreak happened back in, I think it was late 2002, 2003, um, it, scientists could see how once it entered the human population, it rapidly evolved to adapt to the human host. So it was entering a new host species, right? And so it, it, it adapted, it evolved very rapidly and they, they could monitor that and track that with genome sequencing. And this didn't happen with SARS-CoV-2 when, when the outbreak happened. So what happened was it entered the human population already well adapted for infecting humans. And so it didn't go undergo that that rapid you know um, evolution that you would expect when when a virus is adapting to mm. a new species. So that's really curious and it's very interesting and, so, and that suggests so that, that virus started college early, you know. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, that's that's right. the Doogie Howser MD virus. <laughs> yeah, and and there are there are other examples like that of you know um, just evidence suggesting that it it it's not it was not a zoonotic origin that um, it was potentially uh, gain of function. Um, the product of gain of function research in the lab. That's crazy. That's nuts, man. Hey, man-made pandemic, man-made viruses, and people are wondering why they got holes in their genes. Which goes back to Oops. Fauci, <laughs> right? Fauci funding the gain of function research and then lying about it to Congress. Holes in your genes? You know, like your, your genome, your, 
not your real jeans. Oh, the ones that not, not the ones that you aren't wearing right now. I Kim. wasn't there. I wasn't there. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry about that. My bad. I should have caught that. Hey. I'm, I'm sorry, Jeremy. We cut you off. What were you saying? I was still tripping on oh, jeans. I, I, right, I was just, ahead. I just had a segue back to Fauci there. With oh the, yeah, okay. talking about gain of function and then Fauci yeah. lying to Congress about. Yeah, it. interesting. I'm waiting That's for a new rapper to come out called Lil, Lil Fauci. What's the matter with you? <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot wrong with you, Gumbo. There's a lot. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I, I, you know, when I when I heard what the, you know, I want to go back to, I guess, what the president had said earlier today. Um, with regard to holding private companies accountable for their employees uh, being vaccinated or, or not. And, and uh, you know, it seems to me um, that if you have to threaten somebody with the, with their job, that that's not informed consent, right? That's coercion. Um, and then the government that plans on weaponizing OSHA to try and enforce this. Um, I just, I don't know where we go from there. You know, and I don't know if that's a question or a statement, or I'm just kind of tossing it out there to you guys to see if uh, where from, you know, number one, um, states at this point just need to start nullification. Yeah. You know, and just say, no, we're not, we're not going to um, forget that. I mean, yeah. screw the federal government. We're not doing that. Well, and we've states, seen where states this just goes, need to nullify it. We've seen in the past where this goes and it goes to rail cars. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm saying that, that, that has That's, happened before. That sounds so hyperbolic, yeah. but you're not wrong. Like it's, it seems right. like, you know, you're, this goes to rail cars, you know, and camps. Yeah. Where, where does it end? I mean, once the yeah. government says we have this authority and we can force you to do this, and if you don't do this then you're not going to be able to have a job. I mean, it's, it's also very you know, revelations, you know, like the mark of the beast type of yeah, thing. Where, dude. Like, you, you won't be able to buy or sell. I mean, it's, it's when the Unless, government, Unless you're an agorist. You know, when the black. government proclaims for itself this kind of authority, I mean, where does it end? And at this point, there just needs to really be an uprising. You know, I don't mean like a violent uprising. I just mean no. people need to stand up for their rights and say, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. And employers need to stand up and say, no, we're not going to force our employees to do this. And um, local municipalities can nullify if the states don't you know like it needs to go to the local level it just it there needs to be an uprising of people saying no we will not i agree i agree do you have faith that that's going to happen no unfortunately i mean yeah. there's just too many people who are so apathetic or ignorant or misinformed or uninformed yeah. um that they, they just don't understand what's going on they don't understand the the logical uh, consequences of acceding this type of power to, to the federal government. I agree. Just, just consenting to that. I mean, too many people just will consent and consent and consent. And, um, you know, until <laughs> to, to put it as I once asked uh, William Bloom, um, who was an author of, of books on foreign policy, who was frustrated back in the days of the Iraq war, trying to get through to people and asked, well, how, you know, how do you, I'm having trouble like reaching people and like, uh, how do you, what do you do? And he said, you know, there's always going to be people like who will just, they, they refuse to see the truth until yeah. the government kicks down their door and, and steals their firstborn. You just have to ignore those people and go on to the people who can be reached. 
Um, and I've always taken that that advice to heart. And I, I think that that we do need to do that, but we do need to be making that effort, you know, like reach to, making that effort to reach the people who can be reached. And there are certain people you're just never going to get through to. Um, and unfortunately, there's a, that's a huge segment of the population, unfortunately. But that's um, all of my family outside of the, you know, the, the, the four people that live in my house with me. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's like everybody I know. It's unfortunate. They just uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to be all doom and gloom about that, but we have to exist in the now. We have to exist uh, in this current situation, this current environment uh, yeah. where where some of us realistically have to face the, have to face whether or not we're going to be employed. Yeah. You know, um, and make a decision based on that. And uh, that's that's a hard one. Can I, and, can I sprinkle a little bit of doom and gloom on there? One more yeah, time go ahead. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't want to get too dark on. OK, yeah. yeah. Well, so speaking on the pharmaceutical industry and pharmacy and the origins of the word and what it says, because you brought up, you know, the mark of the beast talking about the Bible, you know, you know pharmacia, you know, was the mm. use of administering drugs and poisoning and sorcery and magical arts and idolatry and fostering of that. So there's that uh, deceptions and seductions by yeah. idolatry ties into pharmacia, which ties in, you know, modern forms of pharmacy. So there's that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the root of it all. Yeah. And, uh, and then we look at the industry that's built around that whole pr- yeah. premise. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Interesting, well, and, dude. Yeah. We're, we're, we're really dooming and glooming right now, aren't we? Sorry. My bad. Last one. <laughs> but there's, there is reason for hope. I am, you know, I don't want to come across as being too pessimistic. I, yeah. I, I am optimistic. Like I said earlier, I think there are, despite some setbacks, like with the pandemic and the lockdowns and the, and the mass vaccination political agenda, um, you know, I think in the end it will backfire. I mean, the, Public health establishment really is a, is a house of cards, and it, I think it's inevitable that it will collapse. And it's just, you know, how do we get to that point where there is that kind of we reach that critical mass of awakening? And I, I think I think we will win in the long run. I mean, um, I, I think we will regain our health freedom. It's just kind of a matter of time before we'll be able to do that. And we, you know, we're probably going to lose some battles before we win the war. Um, but I, I am optimistic that, you know, there, there is a growing awareness and I, I've seen it. I mean, I, I've like, for example, with the libertarian community, I was very frustrated prior to the pandemic. And I've talked about this on other interviews, you know, yeah. with um, the, 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 for, there's a few like libertarian podcasters who, you know, kind of like are aware and, and kind of understand the health freedom movement. Right. Yeah. And had me on to talk about vaccines and things, but um, kind of just frustrated by the libertarian community in general. And like there's silence. You'd think if anyone was going to speak out about against like, vaccine mandates and things, it would be like libertarians. And yet the community by and large was just so silent about the whole issue. It was very frustrating to me. Well, it was very frustrating from a, from a perspective of during an election year and having a libertarian candidate for president who uh, was silent on that entire thing, you know, just did not, I mean, Joe Jorgensen could have, I mean, I don't want to pretend to know how she could do it. I mean, Lord knows they, everybody ignores the libertarian party as much as they possibly can. But uh, she sure wasn't vocal, you know, there was an opportunity to really, you know, separate herself from everybody else in a good way. And, uh, and she chose not to do that for whatever reason. And, you know, the party itself uh, is, is going through a major um, identity shift, I think, with the Mises caucus and everything else. And I, and I, and I applaud that whole process because, you know, we need, we need more radical voices for freedom because we're not getting it from the party you would think it would come from. Yeah. And it also shows partisan politics probably isn't the answer. 
and right. in, in all honesty, you know, we, we need to, we need to find a better, um, yeah. a better, I'll say black market solution, you know, that, uh, you know, we might be able to, to work with, right. personally, you know? Yeah. And I'm not really speaking to the, to the party, necessarily, yeah. just the libertarian community by in general. Um, but you know, I have seen, I mean, there has been kind of this, this shift now where you do see, you know, very, um, uh, widely read libertarians, you know, talking and speaking out against vaccine mandates and, uh, and these things now, and they're just openly talking about it now. Whereas before it was kind of like, even if you kind of urged them, like, well, you should, you should talk about this on your show or you should do that. And it's kind of like, they, no, they want to talk about it. And now that's changing, um, visibly. And yeah. so, you know, the just, that's just an example of, you know, one, um, one reason to be optimistic, like there is an awakening happening and there is a shift happening where people are becoming more comfortable speaking out against public vaccine policy. And they're not afraid of being called anti-vaxxers anymore. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, when I'm writing about Israel-Palestine and people call me an anti-Semite because I criticize Israel, that, that label, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it does that's, nothing to me. It does, so it's not going to stop me. Right. That's so, that's so empty though, man. Like, anti-Semite means something pretty heavy and, and to just to use that because somebody has an issue with, with the nation state and the government of Israel, right? Like that's like, those aren't, that's not anti-Semitic, you know, that's you're anti-apartheid, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's, like, it's a weaponized word and yeah. people throw it around Precisely. to, to and, gain and the upper hand, right? And, and exact same thing with an, the, the term anti-vaxxer. It's yeah. this, yeah. this term and, and it's used to, silence dissent and try to intimidate people into not speaking up and not expressing their, their views on the subject. Um, and, and it really is, it's a weaponized label and it's a derogatory label that the media use just to try to silence people yeah. and, like, and to align them and yeah, to align their views and, and to try to like, you know, as though there's this monolithic, like you're either, you know, pro vaccine or you're an anti-vaxxer, right? Like, well, as though there's not a broad range of different views within like the health freedom movement about it. And there it's are like people they, they, they who want are like a, anti-vaccine, <laughs> but I'm not one of them. Yeah, the, they want they want you to have a binary outlook on everything except for gender. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. hey, believe, hey, believe it or not. I, I don't remember, want to go down that road. Hey, That's look, not a topic. For, for, all, for all the kids, I remember a time just a few years ago when woke was actually a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. How did yeah. that shift? How did that work out? Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think I got to wrap it up guys. Um, Gumbo, are we missing anything? Do we got to get anything out on there uh, with, with Jeremy while he's here? I'm going to have to listen to the stuff he's already said, because a lot of it's over my head. I, I can grasp it, but I, I still got to marinate on it. You know, Jer- Jeremy, thanks for coming on again. Um, I, I, I love, I love talking to you about this stuff because you're, you're just, you just, you just got a way of, of, uh, making it easy for idiots like us to understand, frankly, you know what I mean? (laughs) But uh, what can you, can you take some time now and just plug everything you've got? I know you talked about your book a couple of times, go ahead and make sure we, you you, you tell us where we can find it. Sure. So my new book is the war on informed consent, the persecution of Dr. Paul Thomas by the Oregon medical board. Um, You can get it from Amazon and other retailers. You can go to my website. And if you just scroll down my homepage a a little bit below the fold, you'll see see the link for the book. Um, I should have uh, copies that I'm going to sell directly soon. So if you want a signed copy, I should have those shortly. Um, But just go to jeremyrhammond.com. Make sure you sign up on on the form that you'll see on any page of my website there, top of my homepage. Uh, put your name and email into that form to get on my newsletter to stay updated with with my work. I do send out, you know, even when I'm not publishing articles, 
Um, I'm sending out newsletters. Um, so I, I send a lot of exclusive content to subscribers only. So you definitely want to make sure um, to get on my newsletter and, and get that information. So if, in addition to anytime I publish an article or an interview or something, I'll, I'll share the link, but I'm also just sending like content to subscribers only very frequently. Um, and I get a, a lot of compliments on the quality me, of, of that me, content. Let me interject here for a second. Um, I'm on his list and I get it and I love it. And if you're not on it, you need to get on it because there's a lot of good dope that he sends out. So um, I, you know, I, I do it is all I'm trying to say. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Appreciate that. Wrong. Yeah. So yeah, just go to jeremyrhammond.com and get on my mailing list and check out my books. And um, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Also we'll on social ahead. media, but if you're on my mailing list, you'll get all the links to all my social media too. So just right get on, on the list. All right, Jeremy, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and end the recording. Go ahead and hang out for a second.